What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Harry Potter season here on Cinematic Reviews. As always, I'm your host, Chris, and this is the show about all things movies and TV. Every week, I give my thoughts and reactions to the newest releases, beloved franchises, and even upcoming projects like the MCU and Star Wars universe. You can, of course, support the show by giving it a rating slash review on your favorite podcast service, as well as following the show on all social media platforms. All the handles can be found on the Facebook page. Just search for Cinematic Reviews. It helps the show out a lot, and I really do appreciate all the love and support out there from everyone. You guys are awesome. Today, we travel back to Hogwarts for Harry's fourth year as he takes part in the Tri-Wizard Tournament with Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. The film, once again, stars Daniel Radcliffe as Harry, Emma Watson as Hermione, Rupert Grint as Ron, Michael Gambon as Dumbledore, and Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall. I'm super excited to talk more about the Harry Potter universe on today's episode, so let's kick things off with some facts about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was released on November 18th, 2005, and was directed by Mike Newell. He is best known for this, The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, and Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Goblet of Fire grossed $896 million worldwide against an estimated $150 million budget, making it, I believe, the sixth highest film in the Harry Potter franchise. In one of the first tanks of Hermione's quote-unquote Cinderella moment during the U-Ball, Emma Watson actually tripped down the stairs. At least one full-scale dragon was constructed on set, which could even blow fire. The dragon was created partially from the Basilisk puppet that we used in Chamber of Secrets. The underwater scenes were shot in a huge purpose-built tank with a blue screen background. Safety divers swam in between takes with scuba regulators to allow the cast to breathe without having to surface. Radcliffe actually suffered two ear infections during filming. Ray Fiennes um, did not wear any makeup to cover his nose. In order to make the character scarier, it was actually digitally removed. Newell decided against the studio's original idea of adapting the extremely long book into two separate films that would be released several months apart. Uh, there's actually a lot of stuff that was cut out from uh, the book to make the film, and I'll talk about those in book versus movie later on in the show. The first take, the uh, first task, I should say, with the dragon took over 140 uh, visual effects shots. Some brief parts are extreme, are entirely digitally uh, made, including the dragon environment, and then even. Uh, Harry in some of those moments. Alfonso Curran was offered the chance to direct Cobble of Fire, but declined because he was still working on post-production for Prisoner of Azkaban. M.I. Shyamalan was also considered to direct the film before Mike Newell eventually took the director's chair. Henry Cavill auditioned for the role of Cedric Diggory. The role uh, would ultimately go to Robert Pattinson, who makes his theatrical film debut in this. Uh, this is the only Harry Potter film to not contain uh, Hermione casting a spell, which is very, very odd. She's usually one to cast a lot of spells in the book. Um, the rock band at the U-Ball is comprised mostly of members of Pulp and Radiohead. Uh, a Canadian folk group called the Weird Sisters, uh, W-Y-R-D, filed a $40 million lawsuit against Warner Brothers and the members of the band in the film. In the book, the band is called the Weird Sisters, spelled W-E-I-R-D, uh, but was renamed to Weird, W-Y-R-D, for the film. 
Warner Brothers removed all references to the band, but they still moved forward with the lawsuit. Uh, the motion was then dismissed by an Ontario judge. Brendan Gleeson wore a wig while portraying Mad-Eye Moody. The wig actually concealed the electronics, uh, which made the magical eye uh, that he had move. The newspaper headline Harry Potter and the Triwizard Tournament was uh, considered as the title of the fourth book. Uh, J.K. Rowling, of course, went with Goblet of Fire instead. Uh, this is arguably most the most accurate portrayal of Harry uh, in regards to his look. Uh, Harry is said to have long and messy hair in the books. Uh, I completely agree with that, but I actually prefer it when Harry has short hair, like in Order of the Phoenix. Roseman Pike was the first choice for the role of Rita Skeeter, but declined. She later regretted that decision. Uh, that would have been really interesting if uh, Roseman uh, was Rita. I think she would have did a really great job. And then lastly, this was the first Harry Potter film to be rated PG-13. The previous three films were actually rated PG. Now, let's get to my thoughts on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire has always been one of my favorites in this franchise. It's dark, full of action, and of course, we got the return of Voldemort, which is an incredible moment. Fans of the books finally got to see Voldemort in his true form on screen. Uh, Ray Fiennes was phenomenal in this film. He he doesn't pop up until the very end, but he steals the scene in a good way. He's menacing as hell, especially when uh, during that moment where he puts his finger on Harry's scar and they both are just yelling their heads off that moment has been branded in my brain ever since i saw this in theaters back in 2005 the film centers around harry potter returning to hogwarts for his fourth year but this time around hogwarts is hosting the triwizard tournament which is a dangerous wizard competition one student from each of the three schools must take on three dangerous tasks throughout the year these tasks are the dragons the black lake and the maze Victor Crum is the Durmstrang champion. Fleur de Cour is the Bobatons champion. And Cedric Diggory, the Hogwarts champion. Uh, this year, however, there is a fourth champion, and that is none other than Harry Potter. Harry is forcibly entered into the contest, despite him being underage. Uh, this year, the Ministry of Magic uh, decided to set an age limit on the tournament as a safety precaution. This doesn't sit well for the students, especially Fred and George. Weasley, we get that great scene of them yelling that's rubbish when uh, Barty Crouch is announcing that nobody under the age of 17 can enter their name. Uh, speaking of Fred and George, they're they're terrific uh, in this film, like they always are in this franchise. I love seeing them pop up. Uh, the entire cast as a whole is just incredible in this film once again. Uh, we even get some really awesome additions, like I said, right? Uh, Ray Fiennes as Voldemort. Uh, Brendan Gleeson is uh, Alistair Mad-Eye Moody. And then Robert Pattinson making his theatrical debut as Cedric Diggory. Uh, Robert Pattinson, like I said, this is his first uh, theatrical film that he was in uh, as the very, very charming Cedric Diggory of Hufflepuff. Uh, I really love how Pattinson plays the character. He, he, he couldn't have asked for a better film to make his theatrical debut with. Uh, most people know him as Edward in the Twilight series. Uh, but this, this is where I know Pattinson from. He's he's Cedric Diggory, not Edward in my mind. Now, uh, in 2022, he is uh, our new Bruce Wayne slash Batman in the Matt Reeves uh, take on the Dark Knight. 
Pattinson, like I said, he's a terrific actor, and it all starts with this film in the Harry Potter franchise. If you want a really good Pattinson performance, check out the A24 film Good Time. He's he's incredible in it. This is also the first time I ever saw Brendan Gleeson, I believe. Uh, ever since he starred in this film, he's been Mad-Eye Moody to me. He's always really incredible uh, in everything that he does, especially this film. He He's so good as Moody. He's mysterious and, frankly, really, really grumpy. Uh, Gleason had an extra challenge, though. He had to play Barty Crouch Jr. playing as Moody for a lot of the film. Uh, and I think he totally nailed it. Uh, he was awesome in this. Alan Rickman, Michael Gambon, uh, Maggie Smith, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint return as well. And they're as awesome as ever. Uh, even Gary Oldman makes an appearance as Sirius Black. But it's just his face in this one. Uh, he reaches out to Harry through the fireplace in the Gryffindor common room. Uh, but it's always awesome to see him, even if it's just his face. Uh, not only is the cast incredible, but so is the action. I, I talk, I'll talk. i talk about some specifics during the standout scenes segment, but the one I want to mention right off the bat, bat is, the, is the fight between Harry and Voldemort at the end of the film. It's one of my favorite moments, uh, not just in the film, but in the whole franchise. When Harry's and Voldemort's wands... Uh, like connect the way they do during their battle. It, it's always awesome to see. It sends goosebumps down my arms. I love seeing this scene. It's visually awesome, and the choreography is just incredible. I really love it when the ghosts of the people that Voldemort's wand killed throughout the years start to fly out of it, out of the wand, and it, and it forms this force field around him and Harry. Uh, and then we get Harry talking to Cedric and his parents in this awesome moment of how they're going to help him escape. I, I, it's just... I absolutely love this graveyard scene, uh, but this moment in particular where their wands kind of interconnect is what makes it so special to me. And then we get the uh, the scene where Cedric and uh, his um, Lily and James Potter pop up and sort of help Harry uh, get out of this situation because this is his first time going up against Voldemort, so he he wasn't quite sure what to expect, but he he did a really well well job of. Uh, kind of holding his own and then with the help of his parents was able to escape death uh this is one of the longer books as i said in the spellbinding facts segment uh so i understand that they couldn't put everything in the film uh but there is one change that always bugged me and that's how harry gets the gillyweed for the second task i'll talk about this again during book versus movie but it really bugs me uh so i just i wanted to mention it right off the top of today's episode in the film harry gets the gillyweed that allows him to breathe underwater uh from neville neville got the idea from a book that barty crouch jr slash mad and moody gave him uh but in the goblet of fire book dobby is actually the one to give harry the gillyweed uh mad eye slash crouch jr manipulates dobby into doing this whenever i rewatch this franchise i can't wrap my brain around why they cut out dobby for most of the franchise he's an Basically every book, but he's only in two of the films. He's in Chamber of Secrets, and then he doesn't pop up again until Deathly Hallows Part 1. Why would they cut out a beloved character like Dobby? Uh, my sister, who is pretty new to the Harry Potter universe, absolutely adores Dobby. And it's really disappointing that you only get, get him in two out of the eight films that we have. I just I could never understand why the writers decided to give this important part uh, from Dobby to Neville Longbottom instead. And this isn't a shot to Neville at all. This is strictly my beef with the writers and 
their decisions with this film and then the franchise as a whole. This this should have been Dobby. Uh, other than the book differences, though, I only had one real negative with the film itself. Uh, but I'll save that for the negative segment later on in the show. Uh, with that, though, let's take a quick break before diving into today's segments. So up first, we have standout scenes. Uh, again, this is really, really tough, but I managed to uh, nail down about 10 or 12 scenes that really stand out to me when I rewatch this film. Uh, first on the list, we have Harry's Dream. Uh, this is at the very, very beginning of the film where uh, we get this uh, really, really dark and creepy uh, set where we have the caretaker who stumbles across uh, Barty Crouch Jr., Pettigrew, and then little baby Voldemort uh, in this dark room. And they're talking about uh, kind of getting the Death Eaters together and Harry Potter and, and basically getting all of their their plans in order for the film. Uh, it's a really, really dark, uh, like I said, dark and really creepy scene. Uh, it really sets the tone for the movie. You know, we had Prisoner of Azkaban, which was was a lot darker than the first film, but this really takes the next step into things are not looking good for Harry and his friends. Like Voldemort is back and it's going to be a very, very dangerous road. Like this is the books, uh, movies, five, six and seven, and then eight are going to be very, very dark and scary. And not a lot of hope is going to be in them as far as Harry making it out alive. Uh, so I really, really love this scene on how it kind of, not only sets up the tone for this film, but it also sets the tone for the rest of the franchise. And uh, it's just really cool how they were able to do it. Next, we have the Quidditch World Cup. Uh, if you've been listening to the season, you know that Quidditch is one of my favorite, if not my favorite parts of this universe. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we don't get to see the cup, which is uh, very, very disappointing. In the book, it's it's really cool how they do it in the book because we get to see the whole thing play out and we get, uh, we get this really cool moment. Uh, these, uh, special binoculars that Harry uses to where it like tracks the speed and tracks the score. And you can like zoom in on certain players and it's really, really cool. And I wish they would have had that in this film. I know a lot of this stuff was cut out because of the runtime. You know, the studios are always afraid of, throwing out a three, three and a half to four hour movie. For example, Snyder Cut, uh, that was a four hour movie that WB really, really tried not to release, but ultimately did. Um, but yeah, it was still really awesome, though, to get some kind of quidditch in this film. Uh, down the line, when we get to like Order of the Phoenix and and uh, the Deathly Hallows, quidditch kind of takes a backseat and it's really unfortunate because a fan like me, I, I absolutely love Quidditch, and it's really disappointing when you don't get as much as you could have. Uh, so if you want to know more about what happens during this awesome match uh, between the Bulgarians and the Irish, uh, go ahead and read The Goblet of Fire. It's got some really interesting stuff in there. And not just Quidditch stuff. Like it's The book is, a, is awesome. It, just like the films, it's one of my favorite books. And there's a lot of really cool stuff that unfortunately didn't make it into the film 
Next scene I have is Defense Against the Dark Arts with Mad-Eye Moody. This is one of my favorite scenes. Uh, this is where we're kind of introduced to the character Mad-Eye and kind of what his uh, personality is. And he's, you can tell he kind of, and it's tough because this is actually Barty Crouch Jr. This isn't like Mad-Eye, Mad-Eye. This is Barty Crouch trying to pretend to be Mad-Eye. Uh, but still, Brendan Gleeson just kills it in the scene. We get the whole unforgivable curses. Uh, we get the killing curse, the control curse, and the torture curse. And we're kind of, and he's explaining it one by one to the class. And we get the little bug that he's showing the effects on. And it's just a really awesome moment. And it's it's terrifying. You know, my sister, I watched this with my sister. And she was terrified at, at these three curses. And it's just a really, really well-made scene. I, I love every minute of it. Then we get the four champions. This is where uh, the Goblet of Fire is introduced, and we get the uh, the big flame and the piece of the paper shooting out that Dumbledore catches. So then we get, uh, I believe it's uh, Victor Crumb is the first one, and then Flor Delacour gets named from Bo Battens as the second champion, and then Diggory is the Hogwarts champion. Uh, and then Dumbledore does his little speech and congratulates his champion. But then the goblet freaks out and another name shoots out. And lo and behold, Harry Potter is uh, the fourth champion of the Triwizard Tournament. Uh, we get that weird shot of Ron who's just pulls a 180 and is just furious that Harry's name popped out of there. Uh, and I'll have more about that whole thing in the negative segment. Uh, but I like this scene because... Uh, because the way that Michael Cambon plays this is so good. So he's like, he's reading the paper really quietly, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. And then he shouts it and everyone's just freaking out. And he's just stunned, just like everybody else is at Hogwarts. That not only is there a fourth champion, but it's 14-year-old Harry Potter who got chosen. And it's just a wild, wild scene that was beautifully executed. Uh, so awesome, awesome scene there then we get probably one of the funniest uh scenes in the franchise uh draco the ferret this is where draco is giving uh harry potter a hard time as he normally does and mad eye comes in and transfigures uh draco into a ferret and stuffs it down uh crab's pants and it's it's just hilarious i love this scene then we get sweet old professor mcgonagall coming in and she's just, she's mortified that Mad-Eye did this to a student. And, oh, what's the line? I think I have it in the favorite quote segment. But she's like, Mad-Eye, what are you doing? Is that a student? And then he, it's just so good, the way Brendan Gleeson is just like, technically, it's a ferret. And he's just teaching. Uh, it's, it's such a good moment. I, I absolutely love it. Then we get the first task, which is the dragons. Uh, Harry is uh, goes up against the Hungarian Horntail which is probably one of the most awesomely designed dragons ever. I know we get, we've had a lot of dragons from like Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. But the way they made this dragon is just terrifying. The, it's so good with all the horns and just the massive wings and the fire. It, they did such a good job at designing this dragon. Uh, next we have the U-Ball, which is... Uh, not my favorite part, uh, but it's still a, a pretty cool uh, scene to watch. Uh, something totally different uh, 
from the tone of the film. It's more of a, it's kind of, it's good to take a break between the dark, scary stuff and just kind of like, let's have the kids go to a dance and have a fun night and just be teenagers. It's, it's really cool that they, that they put a scene like that in there to kind of just break the tension a little bit, you know? And then we jump forward to the second task, which is the next scene that I have where it's just, again, we're thrown as an audience, we're thrown right into the danger and terror that is the tournament. So the U ball was a nice kind of break from that really, really dark, intense uh, overall feeling of the film. So like I said, the second task is the next scene that I have down. And this is where they, the Harry fight doesn't really fight, but he goes up against the, the mer people in the black Lake, uh, Ron, uh, Hermione, Cho Chang, and then, uh, Fleur's, uh, sister were taken, uh, at some time during the night and they were held underneath the water. And then the four champions have to go and get their prize, uh, Really awesome uh, set design. I love the I love the look of the the more people place and all that stuff and the and the design of the of the creatures were really really awesome. Uh, just a great scene. Then we get the Barty Crouch Jr. Uh, kind of uh, not really reveal, but it's like it, we get all the info uh, on the backstory of Crouch Jr. Uh, so Harry's introduced to this uh, can't. Oh, the name escapes me, but he puts his head in the water uh, into Dumbledore's memories. And then he basically gets thrown inside of Dumbledore's memory of when Barty Crouch Jr. was arrested and taken to Azkaban by his own dad, uh, Barty Crouch. Uh, this is a really cool scene. It really, I really, I really like it because I'm a sucker for time travel and to introduce time travel in a different way. We got the time turner last film, but this time, we're actually going through memories and that was, that's a really interesting uh, idea that JK Rowling uh, brings to the audience. And I just, I really think that the whole thing was beautifully well executed. Um, we get um, David Tennant is a uh, Barty Crouch Jr. Awesome. Awesome actor. You probably know him from Dr. Who and the Jessica Jones series on Netflix. Uh, but yeah, he played a terrific uh, Barty Crouch Jr. The tongue thing where he's like spitting out his tongue like a snake, that was off-putting to me when I first uh, watched the film. But now it's kind of, it suits the character. You know, he's kind of a snake. He's, uh, it's, it's perfect the way David Tennant played it. Next scene on the list is the third task. This is, of course, the maze. Uh, really, really awesome set design again with how the maze moves. Uh, it's, 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 Pretty close to the book. I'll mention this again in book versus movie, but there are some drastic changes they made to the to the maze itself. But still, really, really well done with the whole maze being alive and having to dodge uh, the walls when they shift. And we get that one scene where uh, Floor is uh, Delacour is taking underneath by the vines, and it's it's just terrifying. Uh, and then you get a bewitched Victor Crumb, which just adds more tension to the whole. Uh, scene um then they then it's down to cedric and harry uh they end up both taking the cup after harry saves uh cedric's butt from the vines uh myself i probably would have left the dude sorry my guy but it is a competition i think 
and when we find out what happens after they touch the cup, Harry probably should have just let Cedric get taken by the vines. You know, he probably shouldn't have let him come with. But how is Harry supposed to know what is about to happen in a few moments? Uh, so this leads me to the next scene, which is my favorite, uh, the graveyard. This is where Voldemort returns. We get uh, we get the uh, the reveal that the cup is a the Triwizard Cup is actually a port key that somebody uh, specifically wanted to take Harry. And the book explains this a lot better. But uh, so someone bewitched the cup to purposely take Harry to the graveyard so he could meet Voldemort. So this whole Triwizard Tournament was uh, basically fixed from the beginning. You know, Harry was meant to win this so that the cup could take him to uh, the graveyard. Uh, so then we get the reveal that Pettigrew and Baby Voldemort, which I am now good to dub as Baby Voldemort, uh, comes in. We get the we get that terrifying um, saying from Baby Voldemort, "Kill the spare." And so Pettigrew, Avada Kedavra's Cedric, and it's brutal. We Cedric was such an awesome character, and to see him die on screen was just terrifying, especially uh, as a kid seeing this in 2005. Uh, so then we get Pettigrew performing this spell to um, bring back Voldemort, essentially, into his true form. Uh, and then, yeah, we get the whole uh, Death Eaters showing up after Voldemort rises. And then we get re- we get uh, shown that Lucius Malfoy is one of the Death Eaters. Uh, I believe Crab and Goyle's dads were mentioned as Death Eaters. No surprise there. And then we get the big battle between... Uh, Voldemort and Harry, which is awesome visually. Uh, and then, yeah, so then Harry, uh, with the help of his parents and Cedric and the uh, caretaker, the caretaker also pops up, uh, grabs the port key and takes Cedric back to uh, Hogwarts. And then this brings us to the final scene on the list, Harry bringing back Cedric's body. This is a very, very sad scene. We get... Uh, we get Harry and Cedric uh, popping back up, uh, and then Harry's crying, and everyone's kind of everyone's cheering, but then they realize that something's wrong, and then we get Cedric's dad, Mister Diggory, coming in, and he's just destroyed that his son got killed, and it's such a heartbreaking moment to watch. We get a shot of Cho Chang, who was dating Cedric at the time, and she's just heartbroken. Harry is destroyed for watching that. And it's just an incredible moment to see on screen. So next up we have favorite quotes. So I've got about nine or 10 quotes that have really stayed with me ever since I watched this film. The first one is probably one of the most iconic ones. This is from Harry at the world cup. When he enters the, the tent that Mr. Weasley built, uh, he goes, I love magic. Probably one of the most memed and quoted lines from the franchise. Next, we have only one person to have survived it, and he's sitting in this room. This is from Mad-Eye in the Defense Against the Dark Arts when he's talking about the killing curse. Uh, He's referring to Harry having to be the only known wizard to survive the killing curse that Voldemort casted on him as a baby. Uh, I remember this from the trailer, and it has stuck with me forever. Uh, Such a menacing line from uh 
not really menacing, but it's a really cool uh, line from uh, Mad Eye. Next, uh, no spell can reawaken the dead, Harry. I trust you know that. Dark and difficult times lie ahead. Soon we must all face the choice between what is right and what is easy. This is from Dumbledore. Um, we would go on to get this quote, uh, do the right thing, not the easy way, uh, from the Fantastic Beast uh, film. So this is where that that line originated from. Uh, just another great quote from Dumbledore. Uh, I think we all can kind of relate to this uh, as far as, you know, grief and, and losing loved ones and stuff like that. Like, you have to make the choice between the the right way and the easy way. Uh, so, yeah, just another great wise line from the great Albus Dumbledore. Uh, next quote, the house of Godric Gryffindor has commanded the respect of the wizarding world for nearly 10 centuries. I will not have you in the course of a single evening uh, besmirching that name by behaving like babbling, bumbling band of baboons. Uh, this is from McGonagall when she is uh, teaching the students how to dance for the U-Ball. And then we get that quick little uh, comedic beat from uh, Fred and George where, where they challenge each other to say that three times and they're just going back and forth on seeing who can do it. And it's, it's a great line and a great scene there. Uh, next one, why do they have to travel in packs? And how are you supposed to get one on their own to ask them? Uh, this is from Harry. And then Ron responds, Blimey, Harry, you've slayed dragons. If you can't get a date, who can? Uh, and then Harry responds back, I think I'd take the dragon uh, now. Uh, I mean, I guess we all, we all can relate to this at some extent, you know, asking a girl or, or boy out for uh, the first time. It's, it's a terrifying moment. And, then, you know, so it's really cool that they're implementing uh, – J.K. Rowling is, does a really good job at implement, implementing like real world teenage uh, stuff like, you know, dating and uh, stuff like that, you know, dances and asking a girl out. It's it's terrifying. You know, you honestly, a lot of us probably would prefer the dragon uh, in this moment. Next quote. Oh, my God, I killed Harry Potter. Uh, this is from Neville when uh, after he gives him the gillyweed and he doesn't. Uh, shown any sign of life yet when he goes underneath the water and Neville's just freaking out that the gillyweed actually killed Harry. It's a pretty funny moment. Uh, then uh, the next quote, uh, what what are you doing? Uh, this is from McGonagall. Moody responds, teaching. Uh, and then she says, is that, a, uh, is that a student? And then Moody replies, technically it's a ferret. This was the scene where he turns Draco into a ferret. It's such a great uh, back and forth between McGonagall and Moody in this. Such a great scene. Then we have Bone of the Father, unwillingly given. Flesh of the Servant, willingly sacrificed. Blood of the Enemy, forcibly taken. The Dark Lord shall rise again. This is uh, from Pettigrew when he is uh, uh, forming the, the spell to bring back Voldemort into his true form. Really terrifying moment. Uh, I remember seeing this in the theater and those words have stuck with me uh, since then. Uh, and then the last quote is a bit long, but I thought about chopping this up into pieces, but you kind of have to take the entire quote for what it is. So uh, this is uh, Dumbledore uh, when they're talking about the uh, Cedric passing away and they kind of have this little, uh, 
how I guess you could call it a memorial in the great hall after he is uh, found dead uh, after the third task. So uh, today we acknowledge a really terrible loss. Cedric Diggory was, as you all know, exceptionally hardworking, infinitely fair-minded, and most importantly, a fierce, fierce friend. Therefore, I feel you have the right to know exactly how he died. You see, Cedric Diggory was murdered by Lord Voldemort. The Ministry of Magic does wish, doesn't wish me to tell you this, but not to do so, I feel, would be an insult to his memory. Now, the pain we all feel at this dreadful loss reminds me and reminds us that though we may come from different uh, different countries and different uh, and speak different tongues, our hearts beat as one. In light of the recent events, the bonds of friendship made this year uh, be more important than ever. Remember that, and Cedric Diggory will not have died in vain. You remember that, and we'll celebrate a boy who was kind and honest and brave and true, right to the very end. This is a very, very heartwarming quote from Dumbledore to the students of Hogwarts. Um, and it's it's tough because losing a student like that is it's got to be rough. You know, he wasn't it's not like he accidentally died in the in the tournament. He was murdered by Voldemort. Uh, and so this is really the first glimpse of like the ministry really being just denying everything, denying that Voldemort's back, denying that Cedric was murdered. And Dumbledore, Dumbledore just calls them on their crap and says, no, I'm going to tell them the truth. Cedric died from Voldemort. He didn't die from the tournament in an accident. He was murdered by Voldemort, who was back. And it's and I just love the honesty from the Dumbledore character throughout this franchise. And, and he does it because he actually cares. You know, the ministry is all about politics and all about deny, deny, deny. And Dumbledore always pushes back. And I and I love that pushing that the pushing between headmaster of Hogwarts and the Ministry of Magic. I love how him and Cornelius Fudge headbutts uh from now on and to the rest of the franchise. And it's so cool to, to just see uh a character like Dumbledore just give Hogwarts the truth right off the bat. You know, he's just honest with everybody, and I love it. So next up, we have Favorite Spell. So there are a lot of cool spells used during Harry's fourth year at Hogwarts, such as uh, Accio, which was used by Harry to summon his broom during the first task. Uh, that could be very useful in today's world. Uh, I've always liked that spell. It's it's simple, but very, very useful. Then we have the age line, which Dumbledore uses to keep underage students from entering their name into the Goblet of Fire. Uh, Fred and George, of course, try to get past this with a potion, but it unfortunately doesn't work uh, in that funny scene where they grow beards and their, their hair turns white. Um, really, really awesome scene there. Then we have a Cindio. Uh, this is used by Harry to launch himself out of the the uh, the great the Black Lake uh during the second task. Uh, this is a really cool spell that I've always liked. Uh, how fun would it be to just shoot yourself up in the air like that? Then we have Morse Morde. Morse Mordre. Uh, I think that's how you spell it. I probably butchered it. Uh, this is used to create the Dark Mark. Uh, Barty Crouch Jr. uses this, of course, at the end of the Quidditch World Cup. And then we see the 
the face and the snake coming out of the mouth. Uh, really interesting spell there. Then we have Engorgio. Uh, this was used by Bodyguards Jr. slash Mad Eye Moody during Defense Against Dark Arts class to enlarge the bug so that he could show the class the three different unforgivable curses. And then speaking of the unforgivable curses, uh, these are actually my favorite spells of the film, particularly the Killing Curse. So the three unforgivable, unforgivable, oh, I butchered that again, uh, curses are the Cruciarsis curse. Uh, this is basically the torture curse. Then we have Imperio, the control curse. And then the third is Avada Kedavra, the killing curse. The reason why I like these uh, so much is because these, in my opinion, are the strongest spells in the universe. They're, they're really fascinating to me. The fact that Harry survived the killing curse is incredible. I, I love that moment. Like I said, uh, when Moody uh, says to the class that Harry is the only one known to survive the killing curse. Uh, such an awesome moment there. And then since Voldemort is back, we'll be seeing a lot more of the killing curse going forward because this is basically his go-to spell to just kill everyone. Uh, so great, great spells used in this film. Uh, next, we have favorite creature. So like the spells, there are some really awesome creatures in this fourth film, like the people in the Black Lake, uh, specifically the, the Selkie. These were the scary looking creatures during the second task that uh, Harry has to uh, fight in order to save uh, Ron. We don't see any actual one in the film, but we do see a stained glass window with a siren on it. Sirens are considered the most beautiful of the people. Uh, we also see the Grindelo during the second task at the Black Lake. Uh, these are the those water demons with the, the octopus or squid tentacles uh as feet uh they were trying to stop harry from escaping and that's when he does the ascendio spell and jumps out of the water uh the selkie were the uh the uglier looking mer people with the tridents that were guarding the uh the champions prizes then we have the maze itself uh it's a living creature technically so it's in this uh segment uh, which is crazy cool. Uh, this, of course, was the third task of the tournament. The fact that the maze is a creature on its own is just fascinating to me. It's a really That's a really neat idea that J.K. Rowling had in the book. And then we get to the dragons in the first task. Uh, my favorite, uh, though, would have to be the Hungarian Horntail. Like I said at the top of the episode, I love the design of it. It's so badass. It's one of the coolest dragons. I, I think I've ever seen uh, really, really well done on the design team there. Then we get to negatives. So aside from the differences from the book, of course, uh, especially the exclusion of Dobby, I only really have one negative of the film. I never really cared for the brief breakup between Ron and Harry over Harry's name being pulled out of the Goblet of Fire. It's stretched out a bit in the book, and I still don't care for it after rereading it uh, for the Harry Potter season. Uh, I wish this was a scene that the film would have cut out. Uh, the film does really condense it, though, uh, and it shows, and it's, it's I really dislike it uh, more. Uh, it doesn't make sense in my mind. Ron and Harry have been best friends for four years. They've been through some really dangerous times at Hogwarts together, uh, like the Basclis and, and uh, you know, fighting off the Dementors and stuff in the third 
But then Ron gets pissed off because he is so convinced that Harry put his own name in the Goblet of Fire. Harry tells him multiple times that he didn't do it, but Ron decides to give him the silent treatment and uses Hermione as an owl in order to talk to Harry. How petty can you really get? I mean, that's it just doesn't make sense. My brain can't compute that this was a was a thing in, in this fourth year. Uh, even the book, even in the book, I I really have a hard time believing this, uh, even with it being stretched out. I think condensing it made it a lot worse in the in the film, honestly. I just I can never understand this part of the story. Otherwise, this is a near perfect film and, and one of the best of the franchise. It might even be my new favorite after this we watch. I'll reveal that in the ranking segment coming up shortly. But next we have book versus movie. So the first one on the list in the film, Dumbledore runs towards Harry and loudly asks about putting his name in the Goblet of Fire. In the book, it's the complete opposite. Dumbledore just calmly asks Harry if he did it. Uh, this was probably due, probably uh, Mike Newell just wanting some more drama in this scene than just Dumbledore calmly asking him. He wanted to create tension and kind of just let Dumbledore go wild, you know? Basically for dramatic effect. That was probably the main reason I could think of that they did a 180 on that. The next one is there is no Winky in uh, in the film. Uh, Winky is a house elf who serves the Crouch family. Uh, it's a pretty important role, actually, in the book. So cutting it out of the film is kind of odd to me because she plays a big role in uh, revealing Barty Crouch Jr. Uh, of He's a part of a lot of reveals in the book. So it's probably because they didn't have all the reveals in the film. I mean, the only reveal we had was Barty Crouch being Mad-Eye. So, I mean, that makes sense. So, that, so if they had to cut Winky out, they probably had to cut out a lot of the other reveals. But we really don't get a whole lot of ourselves, and not just in this film, but in the franchise, which is unfortunate. Uh, we do get Creature in Order of the Phoenix. And then, of course, Dobby returns for Deathly Hallows Part 1. But it's really lacking in the house elf department in these films, which is really, really disappointing. Uh, in the book, Hermione creates the Society for the Promotion of Elvish Welfare, or SPEW. Uh, she does this after witnessing the poor treatment of Winky by Barty Crouch Sr. Uh, this is completely omitted from the film because, well, Winky isn't in the film. So no reason to have this uh, little side project that Hermione is doing in the book. Um, I guess it's not... Yeah, with cutting out most of the house elves, you really don't need this, uh, which is unfortunate because I think... Because Hermione is... You know, she's trying to do the right thing. She's trying to treat all creatures equally, especially the house elves who kind of get treated basically like slaves uh, is what she argues. And yeah... Pretty unfortunate that we didn't even get a mention of this little side project of hers. Um, the film depicts the Bo Battens as an all-girls school and Durham Strangs as all boys. Uh, in the book, though, both boys and girls attend both schools. Uh, Nicholas Fumel is actually a famous alumni of the Bo Battens. Uh, really interesting that they decided to go that route, but I'm sure they had their reasons. Uh, tying into that, uh, in the book, the Patel twins leave Ron and Harry for the boys from 
Bobatons. Uh, since the film, of course, depicts Bobatons as all girls school, they leave Ron and Harry for boys from Dumpstrang instead. The first task uh, against the dragon isn't as insane as the film depicts it. Uh, in the book, all the action just happens in the arena, and the dragon never does break out of his chains. It's a pretty condensed fight, so uh, everyone that is watching this task can see what's going on there. Uh, my guess is they they did this for you know more tension and more action, uh, which is cool. I really love the action in there, but uh, just wanted to point out that it's it happens differently in the book. Uh, in the film, Neville gives Harry the gillyweed, while in the book it's actually Dobby. Uh, Barty Crouch Jr., who is disguised as Moody, gives Neville the book that gives him the idea of gillyweed. But in the book, Moody slash Crouch Jr. manipulates Dobby into stealing the gillyweed from Professor Snape's shop. Um, I talked about this already. Uh, really, really dumb that they changed this. Uh, they This should have been Dobby. Uh, no, no shots taken to Neville personally but it's this should have been dobby i mean i understand that they probably wanted to give neville some more screen time but come on you can't you can't just shove dobby to the to the side like that this was a big moment for him in the book then we have luda bagman uh who is um another really important character that is left out of the film uh bagman is the head of the department of magical games and sports who helps organize and judge the Triwizard tournament uh, he's a washed-up uh, Quidditch player with an unhealthy gambling addition, addiction. Um, so, yeah, he's completely cut out of the film for whatever reason. Uh, he's a pretty important character in the in the book. So, as my guess is they just they condensed. From what I'm understanding, a lot of these characters are just condensed into one character. Uh, so, that's probably what it was. Dumbledore was one of the judges i guess so he kind of absorbed some of the bagman scenes there uh in the book the third task is much more exciting uh there are boggarts a golden mist that turns things upside down and a sphinx that only moves aside and instead of attacking if a riddle answered correctly uh unfortunate that we didn't get some more crazy stuff in the maze but i'm sure with budget and the runtime they just had to condense it which is unfortunate because this would have been really cool to to get the return of the boggarts and see this crazy mist that turns things upside down that would have been some really awesome special effects they could have worked with in the book rita skeeter is actually an unregistered animagus animagus uh who can transform herself into a beetle uh this is how she is able to get juicy tidbits for her stories Hermione then discovers this and puts her in a jar and threatens to tell the ministry about her being unregistered. Uh, yeah, I, I have no idea why they didn't include this. Uh, she, if I remember right, she does pop up in the Order of Phoenix for one scene, and then she kind of just disappears uh, in in the films. This would have been pretty cool because I, I really hate the Skeeter character in the book. She is such a... I'm not even going to get into that because I'll get in trouble if I say what's on my mind. But just a horrible character. It would have been really satisfying to see Hermione uh, stick it to her and just put her in her place. That would have been so good. In the book, Barty Crouch Jr. suffers a really dark fate after being revealed 
to be uh, moody the whole time. Uh, he receives a Dementor's kiss, uh, which makes him nothing more than a living vegetable and unable to testify or offer any useful information about Voldemort. Uh, the film just heavily implies that he is going back to Azkaban. Uh, none of the films actually reference him receiving a Dementor's kiss, but in the book he does. Uh, that's a really missed opportunity there. That would have been really cool to get some kind of mention to that, whether it was in order to Phoenix or something like, Hey, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Barty Crouch Jr. Is, uh, an Azkaban and he's just vegetable. He's useless. That would have been really interesting, uh, to get a call back there. And then there are a lot of other really interesting stuff that was left out, but this would be like a two hour show if I listed everything. Uh, but one last one that I wanted to mention that's always thought was stuck in my brain. And I wish that it would have time to squeeze into the film is that Barty Crush Jr. Going to Azkaban during Dumbledore's memory uh, that Harry goes into it, it plays a little different. Uh, and then there's some big reveals in there. Uh, the book actually reveals that Mrs. Crouch and Barty Jr. Switch places after he is sent to Azkaban. Uh, in the film, we just get the scene where uh, I don't even think Mrs. Crouch is in that scene. We just get Barty Crouch Jr. Uh, being arrested and brought forth to Crouch Sr. And uh, we get that that line of, hello, father. He does a little tongue thing. And then Sr. says, you're no son of mine. And then he just take him off to Azkaban. Uh, actually, in the book, it tells that Mrs. Crouch would go see her son when he gets put in Azkaban and they take Polyjuice Poly Potion uh, to switch places. Uh, she turns into uh, to Junior and then she eventually dies in Azkaban, is buried as Barty Jr. Uh, while Sirius Black is there witnessing this. And then, of course, Barty Jr. takes his mother's place. Uh, this is how he is able to do everything in Goblet of Fire because he's not in Azkaban anymore. He was disguised as his mother the whole time. Uh, like I said, the film doesn't explain this at all. So the audience is under the impression that he just escaped from Azkaban. Uh, really unfortunate that we didn't get uh, this uh, in the film. That would have been a really cool uh, reveal. Uh, or even, not necessarily, we didn't necessarily have to see it. I mean, that would have been cool to see it. But we could at least get a, some kind of reference to it, whether it was from Crouch Jr. at the end of the film or whatever. Uh, that would have been... I think it would just would have been really cool this to get that in the film somehow. Uh, but with that, let's end the episode with the Harry Potter rankings. So as a refresher, here is the current Harry Potter rankings. At number one, we have Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Two, the Goblet of Fire. Three, the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Four, the Order of the Phoenix. Five, the Prisoner of Azkaban. Six, Deathly Hallows Part 1, 7, Chamber of Secrets, 8, The Sorcerer's Stone, 9, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, 10, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and at the bottom at number 11, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. So Goblet of Fire, I think I'm going to change up the list right here on the show today. I'm going to move the Goblet of Fire into the number one spot because I really love this film. I think it is a very, very well-made film. And an incredible chapter of the Harry Potter franchise. I love the Half-Blood Prince. Uh, even though I know the backlash, that one is way different from the book. But I think overall, Half-Blood Prince is still an awesome film. 
Uh, but this rewatch of Goblet of Fire, I really loved, and I'm gonna, and I think I love it slightly more than Half-Blood Prince. But we're gonna have to find that out when on the Half-Blood Prince episode. But for right now, Goblet of Fire is my number one. The action is awesome. The spells are badass. The cast is phenomenal. It's overall a really awesome film that I think is one of the best of the franchise. And then on this list, it's the best right now. Uh, we still have four more films to cover, but right now, Goblet of Fire is number one in my mind. It's nearly a perfect film, aside from the book differences, of course. I never cared for the brief Ron and Harry breakup in the middle of the film. Uh, it's really unbelievable in my mind. Otherwise, this is the perfect film, Just not just in the franchise, but in general, it's just a really, really well-made film. I absolutely love it. Uh, like I said, we still have four films left of the season with uh, Order of the Phoenix next Friday. So this could all change. Uh, we never know what's going to happen with rewatches. Uh, I remember loving the last four films a lot, especially Deathly Hallows Part 2. That was a great finale. Uh, but we will just have to wait and see. Until then, you can find this whole list and many more on both IMDb and Letterboxd. Uh, just search for Cinematic Reviews. They range from Star Wars to DC to even musicals. Uh, there's really a list for every kind of movie fan out there. Uh, also, feel free to share your ranking of the Harry Potter franchise on any of the social media pages. I would love to see how you rank this beloved franchise. Well, that'll do it for this week's Harry Potter episode. Tune in next Friday for Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Also, tune in every week for new release Monday. I'm not quite sure yet on which new release I'll be covering, so I'm going to leave it as a surprise. But check out that episode on Monday. It's going to be a fun time as always. Uh, until then, though, always remember to show some respect to Godric Gryffindor and not act like a babbling, bumbling band of baboons. Otherwise, Professor McGonagall will make you dance with her in front of everyone. Later, everyone.